Hi, my name is David Siegler and welcome to my podcast. Hi, Property Sourcing Profiteers Team PSP. If you're out there sourcing profits from property, this is the place to be. You found the Property Sourcing Podcast. Podcast. (laughs) And um, this is quite a special episode because this came from a question uh, I encountered last week when I was on an on-patch day. Some of our masterminders came to Peter and spent an on-patch day with me and we went and looked at a couple of properties, one of which is going to be converted to a five-bed, all-on-suite house of multiple occupation, HMO, for the investor. And it was a really, really cool day. Uh, And this was, uh, I think... For friends who came on the tour, the highlight of the day because uh, the investors just completed the purchase, just got over the line. Nothing has been done at this moment. It's still a family home, a three-story house, uh, and there's a certain amount of bashing about that needs to be done. And uh, the plans, I had the plans. The plans were all in place, and um, we were able to go around the house sort of uh, nosing around where bathrooms were going to be. And uh, we found void walls. The architect clearly found voids in between two rooms. Why Why do they do that? Why then when they build houses, do they leave like a mini, mini room, but with no door? You know, there were no bodies in there or anything like that. But why, why would they need that? Why would they waste the space like that? It's always a bit of a puzzle to me. But there were void areas in the house. And uh, it was just a really cool thing to do. So um, my friends and I, to be fair, we loved the opportunity of going around the house, nosing around, working out where all the bathrooms are going. Um, you know, how if uh, everyone turned the shower on at the same time, how all the water was going to get out of the house. So that was really, really cool. Uh, but what came up during the visit was if you're going to package HMOs, what I see friends doing is they go off, they see an opportunity, they come back uh, and they want to put this deal in inverted commas out there and the numbers on the face of it look attractive, right? So you'd think an investor might be interested, but funding an HMO for an investor is a mysterious and opaque art. It is. And you have to like uh, swim through the treacle of all the requirements from the lender before your investor can get their loan. So uh, this is the format that I follow. Uh, you may have found something else. Uh, if you've found something else, let me know. But this is how I see it happening. Uh, and the intention of me giving you this format is just for you to be aware that you need in your power team people who can help you right? And you need to set your power team up first. Now, it took me 18 months when I was uh, sourcing and uh, converting houses into HMOs up and around Manchester. And we did over 30 of them over a period of time. took me 18 months to find a power team that I knew uh, if I went to them, the finance would work every time. So let me talk you through that. And then that gives us more credibility when we're out looking for our houses. Why am I talking about finance? Because I only work, as you know, if you're a follower of my podcast, as you know, I only work with cash investors. But here's the thing. Most cash investors, even if they are cash investors, will always want to leverage at the back end. They always want to get as much money out as they possibly can so that they can go again. They don't want to leave money in the deal. Now, there are investors that leave their money in the deal. There are. Uh, You know, they might see themselves in uh, buying an interest rate. You know, interest rates are so tiny on their money in the bank. 
or building society that they might think, you know, they, they'll buy a house and they'll, they'll leave the money there to get an interest rate. But what I'm telling you, team, is that most property investors, they want to get their money out again. So uh, this held me back a bit at the start. And uh, I was puzzled. And it was only when I learned how to do it that life became easier. So I'm going to explain to you how to do it now. What you need is a team that can deal with the finance, right? It's really important. So before you go and look at house, before you uh, start talking to investors about how they're going to fund the house, get your finance team in place. What do you need? Write it down, write it down. Not if you're driving, all that stuff, but write this down. You need a commercial mortgage broker. That's what you need. You need a commercial mortgage broker. For those of you who are not aware, HMOs require commercial finance. You cannot, must not do this on a buy-to-let mortgage. This is a question that came up on my mini tour last week. The question was quite innocently put, you know, David, can we buy a residential house on a buy-to-let mortgage? Of course. And then start converting it into an HMO and then change the finance at the end to a commercial mortgage. No, 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 no. You cannot do that. You can buy a house on a buy-to-let mortgage, of course. As soon as you start converting it into an HMO, everything changes, okay? And you are technically in breach of your buy-to-let mortgage. Now, when I say you and your, it's obviously your investor. So your investor, do not allow your investor to buy on a buy-to-let mortgage. And I have had investors come to me and say, David, I want to buy this on a buy-to-let mortgage and I want to set it up on a buy-to-let mortgage. And I've had to take the... I've had to make the decision not to work with them because they were determined to do it that way, even though I've explained to them that the buy-to-let mortgage is the wrong tool for the job. I mean, either you've got to do cash-in, commercial lending out at the end, uh, or you do bridging onto a commercial loan at the end. Bridging will work with this. Bridges understand the concepts. You've got no issues with that. Or there are hybrid products that certain lenders will release a certain amount of funds along the way, so they'll... They'll help you buy the house. They'll help you fund the conversion, but they won't pay all of it, right? You know, we're talking about 60%-ish here. And then at the end of the conversion, they'll allow you to flip on to a pre-agreed commercial loan with a pre-agreed commercial valuation for the building. So, you know, you're not, once you start the process on the hybrid product, then uh, you're not going to get stuck halfway. But they're not very competitive and the loan to values are quite low and the valuations are quite low, right? So, to, you know, banks do not take a lot of risks on this stuff these days. They don't. So who do you need in your power team? If you're going to fund HMO conversions, who do you need? You need a commercial mortgage broker who works directly and has a relationship with a commercial lender who will lend on HMOs in your area. One of the challenges for me was I started working, when I started working in the round Oldham, there was not a market at that point that I could prove uh, where HMOs had a solid price base there was no record of HMOs being sold on the open market value, is what I'm trying to say. And without that evidence, very hard to establish a value for certain lenders. So you need a commercial mortgage broker, sort of a mortgage packager, really. Uh, you need a, a lender who is going to support them, wants to lend aggressively. So it's usually one of the newer challenger banks, not necessarily a high street lender or an 
traditional HMO lender, without mentioning any names here, it's going to be one of the newer, more aggressive challenger banks. And the, the glue that sticks the whole thing together is that you need a local commercial valuer firm, a company of local commercial valuers, who are known to the lender and have the lender's trust, and who are known to the mortgage packager, and the three work together to bring this to fruition. So when I was starting to put this together, and I did struggle initially, um, the stroke of fortune that I had was finding the right commercial broker packager. And he steered me at first instance to the local commercial valuing firm who would come and look at my properties. And one of the directors came out and spent couple of hours with me looking at what we're doing and how we're doing it and he said yes he was happy to support valuations on a rent roll basis a yield driven valuation provided you know we were in the right areas i.e there was strong temp demand and provided we were doing major works to the house so that we were converting it to all ensuite bedrooms and when you take a family home two up two down three up two down Victorian Terrace, and you turn it to a five-bed all-en-suite HMO, then you are definitely uh, converting the, a, a home into something very, very different. The, the flow of the house would no longer work as a family home. So he wanted us to go beyond the point where we could use that house as a family home in the future. So once we'd gone through that point, he was happy to value it based on yield, based on the rent roll, not just the bricks and mortar. And he was happy to put a valuation into the particular lender that the commercial mortgage broker packager was working with on a very regular basis. So happy days. We've got a broker, we've got a valuer, and we've got a lender who all understand what's going on. They're all uh, totally above board. Everyone's working together, but you can get money back out again. So if you're cash in, you get money back out again. Now, how do they come to their valuation? How much are you going to get, Dave? That's what you're asking me. So um, <clears throat> when I was working where I was working, these projects probably got somewhere close to £200,000 total you know, by the end right? So how much can we get out? Can we get out 70% of that? Can we get 140 grand? You're not going to get much more than that. You might get 75, maybe 150 grand back out. But on a commercial mortgage, you're going to have to leave money in. And this came as a bit of a shock to my friends on the mini tour last week. They didn't realise uh, that you had to leave money in. The days where, you know, we were taught maybe in the early days, certainly I was taught, you may have been taught this two, five, six, ten years ago, oh, you can set these up and get all your money back out again. Well, I've never managed to do it, team. There's always been some money left in. The best one I ever had, I think, we left just 12 grand in. How cool. But it's much more normal to leave 40, 50 grand. So one of our friends on the tour uh, she'd just been trying to work one of these out, and the potential was for the investor to leave 48 grand in the deal. And she thought this was way too high. And then I said to her, mm, It's about standard, you know, based on the amount of the project and what you're spending on it. And, um, you know, it rocked her back a bit. She had to think about that because it changes her whole presentation. So, how do the valuers, uh, how does the bank come to a decision about how they're going to value the project? So, this is mysterious and opaque and uh you know indeed very done in a very dark room on a very dark day in the in the dark okay so this is this is what i have found banks lenders challenger lenders whatever seem to put together 
Now, this is my observation. No one's told me this is what happened, but this is what I see. In my experience, lenders seem to put three valuations together when uh, the job's finished and the cash is in and the place is operating and all the paperwork's straight. The lender will, will send out a valuer and the valuer will come back with three valuations, three different valuations team. The first one is a yield-driven valuation based on the rent roll, but it is not based on the gross rent roll. So if you've got five rooms at £100 a week, that's about £26 grand a year, roughly. Okay, uh, that is not the figure they use. They take 80% of that. So whatever 80% of £26,000 is, I'm trying in my head very quickly to sort that out. It's about 21, 22 grand. That is the number. Say 22 grand is the number that they use, right? And this is just for the yield-driven valuation. I've not finished yet. Then they come up with a multiplier. Ooh, what is the multiplier, I hear you say? So the multiplier is a number that they multiply the 80% of the rent roll by, your 22 grand figure. It varies all over the country. Uh, it can be as low as five, yeah, and that's generally in areas where the lender doesn't fancy lending on an HMO, right? Or it can be as high as 12 in the round London. You know, there are um, plenty of evidence in the round London where 10 to 12 is the right number. Now, when I've had my first meeting with the director of the local uh, commercial valuer, he came and looked at what we were doing. He said, yes, he'll ha he'll, yes, he's happy to get the lender to lend. Yes, he's happy to put forward a valuation. But the multiplier where we were working, because of the lack of evidence of a market, would be more than seven, but less than eight. It's a little bit at the low end. You know, so let's say seven and a half. If it was seven and a half multiplied by 22 grand, you know, we're up around 160 grand as a valuation, okay? Uh, but that's not the end of the matter because what you what you were probably expecting me to say then is that, you know, we take 70% of 160 grand, that's what they'll lend us. No, 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 it's not how it rolls. There are two further numbers that they want. They also take a bricks and mortar valuation. Uh, I don't know how they assess that because now we're talking about a property which is no longer a family home and ceases to function as such, right? But they come up with a number, finger-in-the-air type number. Clearly, it's significantly lower than the yield-driven multiplier of seven valuation. Okay, so then we've got two numbers, one significantly lower than the other. And then they appear to apply a third number, and this is where it gets really opaque. And um, this is my interpretation of what I have seen. The third number is between the, the other two numbers. So it's not as high as the yield, but it is higher than the bricks of mortar. And what it seems to be termed as, it's termed as a yield-driven valuation, but with vacant possession. How does that work, team? So what they're actually saying there is we will value the house on the rent roll on the basis no one's in the house paying any rent. And the first time I heard that, I thought it was bizarre. But what was explained to me was... The banks are interested as to what happens when things go wrong. If things go wrong, they're going to have to come in and repossess the house. At that point, it's quite possible that there are no tenants in the house. So we have a an HMO with vacant possession, and they have to value it on that basis. You know, if they're going to put it into an auction or try and sell it to somebody in the trade, uh, they can't prove the rent roll because there's nobody paying rent. So we've got three valuations. At the top, we've got a yield-driven one when everyone's paying rent. At the bottom, we've got bricks and mortar. And then we've got this sort of sliding scale, sliding doors type valuation, which is um, 
basically yield-driven, but with no tenants. And that's somewhere in between. And depending where that figure settles between the two other numbers, that is your final valuation. So you need to know by working with your mortgage broker packager, your local firm of commercial valuers and the challenger bank, where the dust is going to settle. Because if you can put that team together and you can go to your investor and tell them how much they're going to get back out again, you can manage expectations, right? If they're dreaming that they're going to get all their money out, and in the current market, it is a dream, you know, even if, in my experience, even if the arithmetic's compelling and you've done a fantastic deal and it looks like you can get all your money back out again, in my experience, the lender will find a reason not to let you take all the money out. They want you to have some skin in the game. I say you, I mean your investor, of course. So you need to have this in place before you go out looking for HMOs, before you start talking to investors about it. Um, and you need to find the key person here is the commercial mortgage broker packager. That's the guy or girl who's going to set you on your way. So that's a power team thing, team. Uh, and it's really, really interesting. You need to have those people in front. Why do they work with the Challenger Bank and not one of the more high street banks? Uh, because, David, surely the Challenger Banks are a bit more expensive. Yes, that's true. They are. There's a Challenger Bank that we were working at with for quite a long time uh they would lend they would lend on the valuation of our commercial valuer they would lend at more than seven and less than eight times multiplier but they charge six percent over base which is pretty heavy right i mean it's not the end of the world when base rates are half a percent three quarters of a percent you know but if base rates were six percent and we're six percent over base then that's becoming a bit penal so we've got to watch out for that how do you manage that? How do you present that to an investor? Does that put them off? No, it doesn't put them off so long as you tell them the truth of the thing. So tell them that's that's who we're going to have to deal with because the main high street lenders are not prepared to move in at this point. Here's the thing, Mr. Investor. Buy your HMO. Let's get the Challenger Bank in. Let's run it for two years. Let's get two sets of accounts under our belt in the books so we can go and show the books to somebody and then we can go to a high street lender and switch the lending across to two percent over base three percent over base whatever it is that we can find on the high street that's the right way to do it because suddenly the cash flow gets a huge boost because you've cut your interest in half so that's really really important as well so let me summarize property sourcing profiteers if you are looking to source HMOs, and why wouldn't you? It's very lucrative to get paid on sourcing an HMO. The typical fee, I'll give you I'll give you my fee, but it's pretty industry industry standard. If you're sourcing HMOs, this should be your fee, right? Four times the gross rent monthly. The first four months rent. Right? So on a five bed HMO, the monthly rent might be two thousand four hundred pounds. That's quite common in my world, right? You need four of them, okay? So we're talking about £9,600 sourcing fee and then 10% of any of the work to uh, convert it into an all-on-suite HMO. That can be 60, 70 grand, right? If you do it properly, it can be 60, 70 grand. So uh, we got uh, another six, seven grand fees there once the thing is up and running and ready to go. So you get nine, six up front plus six, seven down the line when it's ready. So it's very lucrative, right? But what you're getting paid for is getting the job done. In order to get the job done, you've got to have the right finance in place. And that's what this podcast episode is all about, putting your finance team together. So I hope, that, hope that's helped you. If 
I can be any further help, don't be afraid to reach out to me on uh, Facebook, on Messenger, on LinkedIn, whatever. You'll find me on there. I will answer your questions. And I hope this has really helped you. And uh, I'll see you again very, very soon. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode.